A few years ago, I had the chance to go to a track meet here in Knoxville. I've been a part of the Knoxville running community for, for the past decade or so. And it was an open track meet where there were a lot of the top level uh, adult runners and there were also some college and high school runners and it got to the point in the track meet uh, which was the 5k and the 5k at a track meet is 12 and a half laps uh, which is not fun at all to watch uh, unless you've done it and you know what it feels like to do it uh, and as as we were watching it was interesting watching the runners line up because those of us who knew who was who we knew that there was a uh, runner in his early 30s who was one of the better, more talented runners in town, and he was expected to win by a wide margin. And we also knew that one of the runners uh, that was supposed to come in third or fourth uh, was a talented high school runner who had uh, been improving dramatically. And the race begins and, and the runners take off and uh, many of them have, uh, you know, smooth strides and they're, they're going fast and as expected, the, uh, the a well-known runner goes to the front of the pack, but what was not expected uh, was this young 17-year-old high schooler stayed right on his heels. Uh, and we're, those of us who are watching, we're going, man, that kid's ego's right in checks, his body can't pay. Like, th this is not going to work out well, but you can just tell uh, he's not, he's not going to let that guy get away. And uh, what, what amazed us was as they came through lap four, lap five, we could tell that the younger runner was really struggling to stay up with the more experienced runner. But he just, he, he would find a way. It didn't look pretty. His face, uh, you know, had a grimace on it, but he was staying there. And then as we got into laps seven, lap eight, lap nine, things shifted. Uh, the favored runner began to become nervous. He didn't understand why he hadn't been able to drop this kid yet. And his face becomes grimaced. And the younger runner, uh, you can see uh, there starts to be some hope on his face. Like, this is really possible. Th this could really happen. And then uh, they come in about lap 10. And about lap 10, you've been all out for two and a half miles and you've still got two and a half laps left. And if we, we saw them come through and you could just see the look on their face. And the look on their face communicated two words, oxygen debt. That's exactly what, what, what it communicated. And if you've ever been there, you know that when you get to that point, your peripheral vision actually goes away and you don't hear much because your body is putting its oxygen on the pure essentials it needs to survive and to move forward as quickly as possible. And they are together and they are just, every, their form's coming apart uh, because they don't care how they look. They are just trying to move their body as, as fast as it can move. And, and the friend beside me looks at me and he goes, gosh, he didn't say gosh. He, he said, gosh, I love watching people suffer. <laughs> right? And, and I said, me too. Aren't we sick? Like, aren't, aren't we sick? And at the end of the race, they came, it was so inspiring because you could just tell them like, it, when you get there, your body is sending every signal to take, like your brain has all these warning signals and these alarms and they're all going off. And it's sending you all these different pain signals to tell you to slow down. But you see these people and they mentally override every one of them.
and they just completely shut off the red flags and they just force their bodies to, to do things uh, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. They get done and the, the favored runner held on and both of them ran faster than they'd ever run before. And you could tell when they looked at the clock and they looked at each other, there was this deep, even in that pain of gasping for air, there was just this deep appreciation of together we did something we didn't know we could do. Uh, the, the suffering we went through together allowed us to do something uh, we, we didn't know we, we could do. Well, today we're talking about how, how Jesus faced suffering and how he faced it in a way that showed the world something the world didn't know, the world didn't think was possible. And there is a way in our culture to face suffering that is sick, that, that is really sick. And there is a way of understanding suffering that is sick uh, and that causes us, us to, to live our lives just trying to avoid it. And there is a way of facing suffering that is sacred. And we want to learn from Jesus that way that is, is sacred. So that's what we're here to do today. As we've talked all throughout this season of Lent leading up to Easter about how Jesus faced Jerusalem. He could have stayed safe in Galilee in the rural areas uh, where he was popular and the authorities weren't threatened enough by him to, to reach out and get him. But he wouldn't do that. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem. He knew there was suffering that he had to face if he was going to live his life faithfully. Uh, we, we, have, we have to do the same when we face certain things in our lives. That's why one of the things we encourage you to do, because so much of our culture is bent on just avoiding suffering, uh, right? Like whatever ailment you have, you can type into Google and somebody has some miracle cure that, that will completely fix it because they know we'll spend tons of money on that. Uh, but there's, there's another way to understand our sufferings other than just running from them. Now, if you can find a cure, man, go find it. Uh, but there's another way to understand what we go through. And this is why we encourage all of you, because this other way is more sacred and more difficult. Uh, we encourage you to be in your Bible, reading and praying every way, uh, to, every day to find God's strength and God's power for walking through those times of suffering. Uh, if you are not reading your Bible every day already, we have a Bible reading plan that goes along with our messages here. You can find it at, printed out at the Information Center. You can also access it online at concordunited.org slash Bible. There at concordunited.org slash Bible, you will also find a daily devotion that you can get in email or podcast form uh, that will help you go deeper into your scripture reading for the day and give you a focus for, for your prayer. So I, I hope you'll be a part of that. I was interested to find out recently, I saw a study on marriage and how you find happiness in marriage. And much of what it told us is what you'd guess. Uh, you would guess that often opposite personality types uh, can be complementary, but opposite values make for poor life partners. Um, you, you would probably guess uh, that seeing uh, having the same financial uh, strategy is important, and also that financial security uh, makes marriage happier and reduces stress. There was also something else that they said we weren't looking for that we were interested to find. There was a small factor, uh, or there was this one factor uh, that had re a relatively small amount to do with happiness in the first five years of marriage. But after year 40, it had everything to do with, with happiness. And as marriage went longer, this factor became more important. You know what the factor was? In your opinion, does your partner suffer well? That was it. Do they suffer well? 
Because as in your first years of marriage, there, there might not be that much suffering. Um, eventually, you may well have kids. And you're going to, guess what? You're going to be sleep deprived, right? And at that moment when they're infants and you're sleep deprived, you are going to be asked to do more than has ever been asked of you by your family. And you're still going to be asked to perform at a high level at your occupation. And you're going to suffer. Now, it's suffering for the greatest cause you could ever suffer for, for your family. But it, it's going to happen. Uh, as you get older, you know, uh, you're not going to spring out of bed anymore. Uh, you're going to slowly creak out of bed. And it's going to take you 20 minutes and two cups of coffee uh, before your body feels ready enough to, to face whatever it's going to face. And then there's going to be a day uh, when 20 minutes and two cups of coffee, if you're blessed to live this long, they're not going to cut it anymore. And you're just going to be in pain. You're, you're just going to be in physical pain throughout your day because that's the, where, where your body's at. So I want to tell you, if, if right now you're not married yet and you're in the dating business, if your uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, if they respond to a paper cut as if they've been shot, <laughs> I'm not saying to dump them, but that's a red flag. <laughs> you know, they've got some growth that they, they, they need to, to go through. And, as it turns out, happiness and holiness require learning to suffer well. They both require that we learn to suffer well. And when we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, it was the worst day in the history of history. It was the most evil day that this world has ever seen. And yet, what do we call that day? We call it Good Friday. We call it good because of how he suffered when I look at what he went through on that day, I have never seen anything that approaches the greatness of what he did on that day. Not, not even that. It is the highest level of love. It is the highest level of morality. It is the highest level of courage that, that the world has ever seen. And so we want to look into how Jesus suffered, what, what his suffering means for our relationship with God and how it teaches us to suffer today. And the, the Bible is only so descriptive in this. Uh, the Bible in Jesus' suffering, it doesn't go into all the, the medical details. It's not horrific and gory like a Hollywood movie. Now, the reality of what happened to Jesus was as horrific and gory as any Hollywood movie. Uh, but the Bible uh, just gives us a few of the details. The Bible expected that people would know how horrific crucifixion was uh, when, it, when it was written. And so what I, we want you to know today is, is not that we need to detail everything that happened exactly as it happened. Uh, but here's what we want you to know. Um, when he was crucified, he was tortured within an inch of his life. Nails were driven through his hands and his feet. He was raised up on a cross. He was there for hours. And most likely he died by suffocation. Because when you're on a cross uh, stretched out to breathe, you have to lift yourself up so you can expand your chest. And eventually your shoulders go, go out of joint. And eventually your body becomes so weak you can no longer lift, lift yourself up. Now we're going to read a passage today from the scriptures uh, before the actual crucifixion. This took place during his trial. Uh, and it highlights... Uh, what he went through. This is from Luke 22, verses 63 through 65. Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? 
They kept heaping many other insults on him. And in a real brief synopsis there, we see really the main idea of what the Bible wants to tell us about Good Friday. Of he was abused physically and emotionally. That they, they were insulting him. Uh, they were humiliating him. Uh, and uh, all this was happening publicly. He was spit upon. He was stripped of his clothing. Uh, he, was, he was beaten and abused. Uh, he was cursed uh, and made fun of. And all this in the same town where we just celebrated in, earlier in this service that he was held as the king. Uh, he came in to people shouting Hosanna, laying their cloaks down uh, so that as he rode on a donkey, uh, the donkey wouldn't even have to, have to touch, the, touch the ground, waving palm branches, acknowledging this is God's king and, and now he's here. Now he's here and we see how he faces it. Uh, we, we see that he had every ability, he had every power to walk away from it. He had the power to call down fire from heaven on his enemies and he didn't. He walked there because he knew that was the only path he could walk that would show us who God was. He knew that was the only path he could walk that would open up salvation's gates uh, and forgiveness is freedom to, to all of us. So he, he walked that path. And in it, he faced the greatest suffering we, we can imagine. And in fact, we, we find that our greatest fear, it's, it's not even pain, it's humiliation. He, he faced all of that. Uh, Jesus knows the pain. If you've been there and you know what it is to be humiliated, you know what it is to be in pain, uh, I want you to know Jesus knows that. He knows the pain of a broken body and he knows the pain of a broken reputation. But he walked through that and there was a reason he walked through that and it gives reason to everything that we walked through. He walked through that so that we might know that there's someone who loves us enough to walk through that for us. He walked through that so that we might know there's a God who's more powerful than the greatest evil the human heart can conjure and the greatest evil that the devil can inspire. There's, there's a God who's greater. There's a good who's cre who, that's greater uh, than anything this, this world can be upon us and that's that's why he, he walked through that for us. When we suffer, we need to know, just like those runners in that race, they were suffering for a purpose. They're suffering because their suffering could allow them to do something that they could never do without it. Uh, when, when we walk through this life, we need to know that each time we suffer, it's not just in vain. Now, the Christian life is not about seeking suffering uh, for, for yourself. Some of you gave up sweets for Lent, and I want you to remember, I cautioned you I told you from this stage, only give it up if it will bring you closer to Jesus. So I hope it has. But today at the Easter egg hunt, we're going to have an ice cream truck. And I'm going to look at some of you and I'm going to have my strawberry milkshake. And I'm just going to smile. Because Christianity didn't tell us just to seek out suffering. Right, by the way, I do want to let you know if you did give up sweets in Lent, like technically, Sundays don't count. Okay, so if I do nothing else for you today, I did that for you. Um, okay, well, as, as we, we look at this, um, we don't, it, it's pointless to suffer for the sake of suffering. We suffer for a purpose. And when we suffer, regardless of why it is we, we're suffering, uh, it might look different. We might suffer because of our own failure and our own sin. We might suffer because of what this world does to us. But each time we suffer in how we handle our suffering, we have the chance to make Jesus Christ known. We have a chance to inspire others. 
we have a chance to witness to the fact that good is greater by how we handle and how we walk through that suffering in faith. By not deciding that God hates us and the world hates us, but that God's given us this, this opportunity uh, to show the world what it looks like to walk in faith through some of the hardest times of life. Because, and we do that when we walk through it uh, focused on others and focused on love. That's what Jesus did when he walked to, walked to the cross. And what we find is that love transforms suffering from a curse into a blessing. Uh, you'll still experience the curse, but it will ultimately be looked at as a blessing, both by you and by others that you were able to walk through. I want you to imagine if you're a parent and you have a child and your child has a life-threatening illness and it will take all the money in your bank account uh, to uh, get your child treatment and the treatment may or may not work but it will mean years of suffering for you because your family won't have enough because you tried to get your child this treatment is there a one of you who would even think about that decision no you wouldn't no, you wouldn't. You'd say, where do I sign? Even if it doesn't work, you won't for one minute regret that decision, right? Jesus didn't for one minute regret going to the, the cross for us. And, and in his life, he, he showed us this, this love uh, that's greater than whatever else this world has to offer. Uh, we, we've seen examples of that in people uh, nearby. Uh, we've all been praying this week for the families who were victims of the tragic school shooting in in Nashville and we know there was a school administrator who was on a on a zoom call I think with other school administrators heard the gunshots went into the hallway from what we can tell uh, um, the school administrator eventually passed away their body was found in the hallway and from uh, how their body was found uh, we think what happened was they were unarmed and they confronted uh, the shooter in order to get between the shooter and other victims uh, they, they just they just did it we, we know that many lives were saved because there were police officers who immediately upon hearing the call went directly towards the shooter while others were running from the bullets they were running towards the bullets willing to give their their lives and because of that willingness to suffer, uh, they, get, they gave us such an inspiration and, and we think of them as, as heroes uh, for what they've done. And, and they are. They, they, they certainly are. And I, I bet if you could ask that school administrator and you, if you could ask uh, those officers, uh, they would have rather had the very, they would have rather lost their lives uh, than been in that moment and not responded right? That's, that's what they were there to do to show the world uh, what good looks like in, in a moment like that. The Apostle Paul talks about this in our faith. He talks about how in our faith, even when we suffer, and maybe especially when we suffer, we have the chance to witness to good and to love in a way we may not other times. The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, and this is in Philippians 1 verse 9, and he says, I you have now been given the privilege of suffering for Christ. That it's a privilege. Uh, it, it's not, suffering isn't something we ever seek out for its own sake. But when a, it comes upon us, how we handle it is a privilege. Because we, we have the chance to make Christ known in maybe the way that's the most difficult to argue with. Uh, the way that's the most difficult to deny. Later in Romans uh, verse or chapter 5 verse 3 he says that he has learned to rejoice in his sufferings the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 talks about Jesus walking to the cross and what it tells us there it says he walked to the cross for the sake of the joy set before him because he was walking there for something greater 
something good. Every time you walk through suffering, you need to walk through it for the sake of something greater. And you might not even know what that is at the moment. You might think that you're, you're just trying to survive uh, your own treatment for a disease you never thought you'd have. And you might have no idea yet how that will affect the way you're able to be there for others and give hope to others later in your life. You might just think you're trying to survive a season of personal failure, but you might have no idea how many other people are dealing with personal failure that they've kept hidden, that you're going to inspire to suddenly live a life of joy and freedom who've been living a life uh, of uh, bondage and fear. You, you, have, you may not know it. You might know it, but, but you might not at the time. I'm very thankful that uh, I've now uh, been in ministry for, uh, I, I guess I've been in pastoral ministry for a little over 20 years. And when I first got involved in ministry, of course, this isn't as much the case now, but we had a number of older gentlemen in the church who had served in World War II. And some of them would talk about it and some, some of them wouldn't. And I'll, I'll never forget Timothy. Timothy was this man, he, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He'd do anything for the world, in the world for you. And as a young man, he, he served in Europe. He uh, was, I, I remember one time, uh, this was a, a smaller church and we had a work day and we're cleaning the gutters. And he, he's gotta be mid eighties. And he's up on the ladder cleaning the, the gutters. And there's four or five of us who are young men and we're like, Timothy, no, let us do that. You know, your wife will kill us um, if, if we let you do that and you get hurt. And he gave us a look like, I'll kill you first if you don't, <laughs> right? We weren't taking that job away from him. Um, I, he, he would greet, you know, and I don't know if any of you all had, had greeters like this in your church, but you're not really allowed to do this. It's not as politically correct anymore, but he'd always stuff his pockets with sugar candy. And when the kids came in, he'd give one to you on your way into church and he called it a happy pill, right? You can't say that anymore. <laughs> but, but, but it was just, it's just hard candy. And, and that's, um, that's the, type, that's the type of guy he was. That's just the type of guy he, he was. Do anything for anybody. And I didn't know his story until one day I learned it. Uh, he was part of uh, one of the battalions that liberated a concentration camp. And he saw. He saw what humanity could do to humanity. And he said, I grew up in church. He said, and, and Jesus tells us that we shouldn't uh, lose our faith when we see nation rise up in war against nation. Uh, and I'd, I'd made my peace with soldiers uh, dropping bombs and shooting guns long ago. He said, but I didn't know we could do that. He said, I just didn't know humanity could do that. And he said, from that day forward, two things have happened in my life, one good, one bad. He said, I've tried to be the very best person I could be. And I've just tried to do good every time I had an opportunity to do good because I saw what bad looks like and I just want to be a part of making this world better. And he said, and two, I've struggled to believe in God. Uh, and I looked at him and I'm like, but you're here at the church whenever the doors open. And he's like, I, I do everything at the church because I believe the church is a powerful force for good and I want to believe in God. I just, I still don't know if I can anymore. And I, there wasn't anything a young pastor just barely over 20 could say in that moment 
other than just to uh, think about how much love and respect I had for him and to pray that uh, one day he would find the, the truth of that, um, that this God was with him all along. And I believe he, he, he's passed away a few years back. I believe he knows that truth now in a, a way much greater than, than any of us do. But I wish in his earthly life, I wish he could have gotten to know Sarah. But they were separated by a couple continents and a big ocean. Sarah lived out her years in Lithuania. But when she was young, she was from Poland and she came from a Jewish family. Uh, she eventually ended up in the Auschwitz concentration camp. And, and if you heard her full story, it's, it's got as many gory details as you could imagine. Uh, she saw stuff that nobody should see uh, and she certainly saw stuff that a young girl should, shouldn't see in those camps. She was the only surviving member of her family and she almost didn't survive. Uh, I believe it, it, was, it was either 40, 43 or 44. Uh, she was in Auschwitz and she was sick. And so they sent her to the, they actually had a hospital there. They sent her to the hospital. But as you can imagine, you didn't get very good care in the hospital. It was where you went to die. And it was Christmas Eve and she was lying in a hospital bed in the worst part of the worst place on earth. And there was another little girl lying beside her. And she said, she remembers this other little girl reached out and held her hand. And she said, at that moment when she held my hand, I knew that good was greater than evil. And I know that compassion was greater than prejudice. And I knew this war was eventually going to go away and good was going to win and the future was going to be better than the past. Now, how could she know that? She had seen things that caused hardened soldiers uh, to question their faith and yet somehow as a child she found that out and I, I don't know what her religious beliefs were at the end of her life I don't know if she remained Jewish and uh, considered Jesus a prophet uh, I, I don't know if she ever put the connection uh, together that this experience she had of God being present with her in the greatest suffering happened on Christmas Eve uh, a time in which we celebrate that God went, came from heaven to earth to enter into to our suffering. But I know that God gave her this hope in how another little girl suffered. And there was another little girl there uh, going through what she was going through. Uh, worse things than we could ever imagine. And in her suffering, that little girl didn't just think about herself. She thought about someone else. And she reached out and she held her hand. And isn't that what we see from Jesus Christ on the cross? Isn't that what we see from Jesus Christ on the cross is God saying, I'm going to walk your suffering. I'm going to walk the hardest suffering you will ever experience physically. And I'm going to walk this suffering on behalf of you, uh, on behalf of the hardest suffering you'll ever experience from your own failure and humiliation. And when you walk this suffering in your life, you're going to know because of how my son walked it that I'm there holding your hand. And when you look at the cross, you're not going to see evil. You're going to see good. And you will remember that day. You don't call it Black Friday. You call it Good Friday. Because the greatest thing that's ever happened for humanity happened on that day. Because Good Friday is God not staying removed in the heavens, but God enter into, entering into our suffering and extending his, his hand to us so that we might walk through this life knowing that love is greater than hate, good is greater than evil, compassion is greater than prejudice, and God is, is greater than all of it.
so that when we suffer in this life, we might not do so without a purpose, but we might learn to do so to make the love of Jesus Christ known. That's why Paul calls it a privilege. Uh, That's why he tells us to rejoice in it. That's why Jesus didn't go to the cross because he he was forced to. He chose to for the sake of the joy set before him. Or as Philippians 2 tells us, who was in, he was in the form of God, but did not regard equality with the Father as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee on earth should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you look at the cross, you'll often see four letters above it. I-R-N-I is Latin. In Latin, J's are I's. Well, uh, Jesus starts with a J and then N. And so in Latin, it starts with an I. Jesus starts with an I. In Nazareth, those first two letters, I-N, Jesus of Nazareth. The last two letters, R-I, R-Rex. Remember Tyrannosaurus Rex? The king. Rex means king. And then I is the first letter of Jew, Jews in Latin. Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews Uh, we we don't come and we don't look at that cross and we don't say uh, here here dies a pitiful man we look at that cross and we say just like they said on the first Palm Sunday that's our king let's pray together gracious Lord we thank you that on the cross you showed us what a king looks like And that in the empty tomb, you showed us the power of our king. You confirmed for us what you already knew, what was, had already been true since before the foundation of the world, that good was greater than evil, that love was greater than hate, that compassion would ultimately triumph over prejudice. We we thank you, Lord. You showed us that there was no unforgivable sin Accept uh, the sin of not turning to you, of not repenting. And so, God, we come to you today. Uh, we come to you uh, with the suffering that's been done to us and the suffering we've brought upon ourselves. And we ask you to help us uh, not to suffer as those without hope or without purpose, uh, but to consider it a privilege that we might somehow make you known, that someone else uh, might come to view uh, not only Friday as good, but this world as good. And God the Father is good because somehow we suffered and in so doing, we had learned from you how to suffer, how to make the love of God known in the darkest days. We pray this in your name and for your sake to you, our King. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, 
please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.